want to say, I'm going to tell you this, not because I spoke on Sunday, but the message I spoke on Sunday was a very, very important message. It was very, very, very important. It is a message that I believe needs to be heard um, in every church in America, not because I spoke it. It was just the word of the Lord for the time. And I want to encourage you that if you weren't here on Sunday, there's no shame in that, but you should take the time to go onto um, our Facebook or our website, uh, or we have a podcast. You can look that up, Harvest Sarasota. Um, or you can even see it on our Vimeo channel. All of them has posted the message from Sunday. It's 32 minutes long. So if you have a 15-minute drive to the doctor's office, you can queue it up on your podcast, listen to half of it there and half of it on your way home. It, how many of you really um, believe here tonight that we must consume the Word of God? It must be something in our heart. And I want to encourage you that... that uh, Sunday's message was very important. I'm not going to have time to be able to reiterate or regurgitate what I did on Sunday. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about it and give you a brief overview, and then I'm going to add two more kind of quick stories to the end, kind of finish it off because I felt like I didn't want to leave it the way it was. Um, but on Sunday, we talked about the difference between active faith and reactive faith. And it's very simple, um, that concept if we can, for a moment to understand, but it's difficult oftentimes to actually implement it in our lives. How many of you know most things in life are simple, but sometimes difficult to actually implement in our lives? Come on. And so, um, like, don't speed. Simple concept, right? Simple concept. There's this thing in front of you. It has numbers. Don't let it go past the number of the signs that you're driving with. Good luck with that, all right? And so sometimes the implementation of these things is a little bit more difficult, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be because if we understand the importance of what God's telling us and we place importance on these things in our lives, then we can prioritize our energy and effort behind actually doing them. And I, and I really believe that, that, the king, that the kingdom of God or the church here on the earth, um, just, just we're not messed up. I mean, we've got some things we, to process through. We're not, we're not terrible. Uh, there's a lot of people that are very critical of the church, but I just think we need to shift some priorities. Amen? Sometimes our priorities are, are based around trying to figure out um, who's in the club and who's not in the club. Sometimes it's centered around, uh, you know, what Sally's doing behind her husband's back and, uh, and whatever else. And I really believe that God's called us to do more than that. I believe that it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to shift some priorities and realize that God wants us to live a supernatural life of overcoming every day. Amen? And this is not necessarily my message, but I want to tell you this. I, I, I really believe that we need to go on, on um, a fast, if you will, of divisive things. Anybody like division in their life? That was like five people. The rest of you are like, I love division. I'm not talking about the math. I really believe that we need to cut things out of our life that are causing confusion and divisiveness. Amen? I was recently, I was recently on my personal Facebook page, and I'm just going to tell you and be straight with you. Recently on my personal Facebook page, and the most important part of that statement is the personal part. It's mine. 
it has my picture and it's really me and whatever I post on it is mine everybody say mine who, who here does not have a Facebook you're probably the happiest people in the room okay I know Dwight is I, uh, I recently posted something on my personal Facebook page that I, I thought was kind of funny um, I just said I basically said um, if you're uh, I said don't ever trust the theology of a minister who is generally unhappy in their own life no, I didn't say sometimes not happy. I said generally speaking, if they're a miserable person, you probably shouldn't trust what they're telling you about how you should live your life. Right? And I got news for you. There's some miserable folks out there. And some of them, unfortunately, sit behind a pulpit every Sunday. Come on. Don't trust the theology of a pastor who's not happy. And if they're not happy, I don't know if you want to be listening to them for advice for your life. So I posted it on my Facebook. You wouldn't think it was that controversial because I don't know many people that are like, I would love to find a really miserable pastor and sit under his teaching and serve his vision the rest of my days. You wouldn't think that was controversial. <laughs> I had some all-out attacks coming my way. I... I was told that I was, un, I was theologically unsound, I was unbiblical, I was a spoiled brat who inherited this position, and if I wasn't a minor, I would have never had this position. Now, the only reason I'm telling you this is not to feel bad for me, because this comes with the territory. I'm telling you that because if you have divisive things or people in your life, Yeah, well, listen, I, in my life, I can count on one hand how many people I've unfriended or, or blocked or whatever. Um, I added one of those fingers last night, okay? One of those fingers got counted last night. That didn't come out right, but you know what I mean. But if I had to choose a finger, never mind, all right. Uh, <laughs> Lord, help me, Jesus, forgive me. Anyways. But I got to thinking to myself, I got to thinking to myself, and this is another believer, mind you. If we spent as much energy attacking one another on actually engaging with what I taught on Sunday, and I'm going to give you a little bit of tonight, engaging with the promises of God over our life. In other words, if we spent the time, now mind you, these messages that came my way last night vigorously typing mean stuff at me at after one o'clock in the morning. Somebody in our time zone, this ain't somebody in California, vigorously, if we spent as much, can you imagine at one o'clock or one thirty or two in the morning, if instead of attacking one another as believers, listen to me for a moment, we were up at one thirty or two o'clock in the morning crying out to God, for the promises over our region and our city and one another? Think about that for a moment. We need to shift priorities. 
We need to change, and all that is, when you say, what does that mean? How do I shift priorities? Spend your energy differently. That's it. That's all shifting your priorities means. Take the limited amount of energy and time that, and resources that God has given you and spend it differently. Amen? Because when we look at what I preached on Sunday and see what God has given us and promised us and the access that we have to the throne room of God, to, to come with full confidence and assurance to the throne room of God, and we have that sitting in front of us and the opportunity for you and I to have access to the very holy of holies, why would you waste your time on anything else? especially anything else that would divide or tear down. And, I, and I've come up with two reasons why. Either you're crazy. For those of you that speak Spanish, loco. Locosito. Mira, señor, locosito. That's about all I know, okay? Either you're crazy or, and I think this is probably more common, and this is why I preach what I preach on Sunday, or maybe this, maybe you don't actually believe that you have that kind of access to the promises of God for your life. And, and, and I'm going to go through these for a moment here. How many of you went home and read Hebrews 10? Gretchen did. She told me she did. Who else? You did, you did. Did you get really fat on Hebrews 10? Did you load up at that buffet, go back a couple times? Yeah. Lolo, did your husband have to wheel you out of the Hebrews 10 restaurant? Good. Let's go to Hebrews 10. I think it deserves a little bit of love. There's all these fancy statements here. You missed them. You missed them. See, I, I just did those early slides just so you would know what you missed on Sunday, all right? Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, I want you to turn to your neighbor if you can and say, we have confidence to enter the holy place. Continued here, it says, um, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Now, this is, this is God talking. This is God giving us permission and access to draw near to him and to have confidence to enter his most holy place where his presence is found. And let us draw near to God with the full assurance. Come on. I, I believe God's call is to be a people with full assurance that we would be fully assured that what God has given us access to, that he actually has given us access to. How many of you have a, have a, have a, a house or an apartment that you live in? Just about everybody. What else do the rest of you live in? <laughs> Condo. Did I not include something here? Am I losing you tonight or what? Do, do you have a key to that house or your apartment? Now, do you... Do you worry, listen to me for a moment, do you worry when you approach that door that that key is not going to work? <laughs> 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 
I don't even know what scripture to throw at you right now. <laughs> Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't, we don't walk up to our door fretting with anxiety whether or not that key is going to unlock that door. Why? We have full assurance and confidence that key unlocks that door. Why? Because we've seen it, we've tasted it, we've experienced it. We know that key unlocks that door. We don't look at the key and say, I wonder if somebody switched the key out and just made it look like this one. You all know what I'm talking about. You have your keys and they all have certain markings and some of them look alike, but you know that one's more tarnished than that one. And that's how you know the difference. Not all of you are perfectly organized with colors and labels and all sorts of cute stuff, right? Are you like me? You just throw them on there and just hope you can learn the difference. I look at them. Well, that one has a certain nick. This one looks like it's been run through the drive-thru too many times. You know what I mean? So you got that key. You know this is the key. You walk up to that door. You're not up there and you're like, oh, Jesus. Door, forgive me. Every time I've wanted to kick you down, please let this key work, Lord. Please. You confidently walk up with assurance this is going to unlock it. That is the kind of confidence God wants you to have when you approach his holy place. Not arrogance, confidence. The confidence in what? Confidence, oh Lord, I feel like preaching. Confidence that what Jesus did was enough to give you access. You hear me? And it ain't a copy. It ain't your Ace Hardware Home Depot electronic machine copy that never works either. God gave you original access to the very throne room of God. Amen. Well, I got half of you with me. The rest of you, I'm going to get you. I got a laser here I'm going to get you with, okay? Oh, no, I don't want to back off of that. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Has anyone felt like their conscience was too guilty, you don't have to raise your hand, or that you were not pure enough to enter in to the holy place. Come on. Has there ever been a time in your life, and I don't want you to raise your hand, this is a rhetorical question, where you have thought that you were too unclean or you were not pure enough to access the holy place of God with your life? Most of us in this room probably answer yes. Here it is. Having the faith that brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Now what is key about this is, is, is that if he has given you a promise, and if he has given you, in this case, his promise is you have access, his promise is you, can, you have the ability to enter into the holy place of God, if he's given you a promise, he is faithful to see that promise. Come on. He's faithful to see that promise come through. And it's interesting. This is a kind of a, I went over this on Sunday, but I want to just hit it again before I add the last two parts. Let us do it full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let us keep, this is the message version of the last part. Let us keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. For he always keeps his word. Sometimes, sometimes, every once in a while he forgets. He always keeps his word. Now, I, I, somebody today told me, I love when you preach, but sometimes you talk about other hypothetical ministries and it bothers me. And I understand that. If that bothers you, I'm sorry. But I'm tr what I'm trying to do is not, I'm, I'm, I have great respect for any man or woman 
who has said, I'm going to answer the call to be a minister. Whether I think they are cray-cray, isn't that what you kids say nowadays? Whether I think, I'm going to say it as, 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 as proper, as, even if I think they are cray-cray, if I think they're out of their minds, I still have great respect because nobody does this because they're looking to get rich. Nobody does this because there's fame and fortune. Trust me. Nobody does it because you sleep really good at night. All right? It's, it just doesn't happen. And so I have great respect for anyone that does it. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to separate, in this case, the wheat from the, the chaff. I'm trying to separate some of the very damaging theological um, concepts that have been held over the heads of people for too many years. And God has called me personally to bring a message of reform. This is just my, this is the mandate over my life. I had somebody I sat with today who, I've had a rough 24 hours. I had somebody I sat with today, completely different than the Facebook person, who, who just, who just frankly doesn't jive with that idea. Just doesn't fit, and that's okay. Not everybody's going to fit. I get it. But God's called me personally, and I'm, this isn't about me tonight, but I just want to say this to you. He's called me personally as your pastor to bring a message of reform. Why? Because I'm not content with where the church is. Is anybody looking around the world at the church and saying, we're doing just a fine job? I, I don't know if this is true. I read this. I read this. So, and it was on the, you know, the, the blue thing with the, you know, I read this. So who knows if it's true, but if it is, Lord help us. And if you're a fan of hers, I'm sorry. But I read, somebody posted this, that um, the, the number one selling artist, female artist of all time is Aretha Franklin. Until recently, there's a new number one selling artist of all time. Okay? It's Nicki Minaj. This is what I read. Yeah, Nicki Minaj. All right? And I also read about three more posts down from a news entertainment website that Nicki Minaj has just recently said about some girl she's feuding with. I don't know who it is. Some of y'all know. Don't act like you don't. All right? I don't know who it is. Who is it? Yeah, that one. She's feuding with this other artist or whatever. And she basically told, put out a message for this other artist that you have 24 hours to make your hit on me, which basically means to try to kill me. And then after that, I'm going to come and get you. This is the number one selling female artist. And if she's not the number one, if that statistic wasn't true, she's one of the top selling music artists currently right now. And if you think that the church has been effective when that is the status quo, you are crazy. And by you, I mean not you, you know, just like somebody you know, all right? If we together think if we can settle and say, I am content with where we are as a church globally. I'm content as a church as Harvest. 
when that's what's going on in the world today, and God's called us to go out into all the world, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I can't, I can't be called to do this with you guys and together as the body of Christ to, to, to arm in arm and hand in hand, go accomplish the mission for, for here on the earth for, for, for what the Lord has given us. I can't do that and just simply say, let's just sit comfortably in what we know and then just hope it all works out. I'm compelled in my heart. I am utterly compelled in my heart that we do not stop until the church becomes effective in reaching this generation. There is no such thing as a lost generation. There's no such thing as a people group or a generation that we give up on. We are called as the body of Christ to, to whatever it takes to see greater understanding, to see greater revelation, to go to God in supplication and prayer and dive into the word of God and ask him, Lord, what else can we do? To, to, to come to a point in your life, to come to a point in your life where you say, I'm okay with where we're at, is to condemn hundreds of millions, if not billions of people to the gates of hell. And it might be one of your loved ones. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be your, your son's best friend. And I'm not willing to do it. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm not willing to just gently sit by and just for the sake of being comfortable, I am not willing to let a single person that we have an opportunity to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ split hell wide open because we didn't want to push the envelope. Are you with me? Can you tell I'm fired up tonight? Pray for your pastor. He's going to lose it. All right. This is, see, that was a lot of Sunday plus a little extra because I had an interesting 24 hours. James 2, 20 through 22. We're going to kind of wrap this back into the concept of faith for a little bit here. You foolish person, you, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, I, I, I was going to talk about this on Sunday, but I'm glad I get to do it tonight. There's an interesting concept that we see at play here because it's one of the, one of the times in the Word of God that we actually see faith and action come together and what that looks like. How many of you know you can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't do something based on that faith, it's not going to happen? As a matter of fact, I would say that you don't have faith. You might believe something, but you don't have faith. Because faith compels you to act. Are you with me? Faith compels you to act. Can I tell you this? Uh, I, I'm going to be like my dad and go off on a rabbit trail right now, okay? Every time he'd do this, I'd be on the front row like, Lord, Dad, just go back. Go back into the lane. You were, you were dead. So now I'm going to be just like him because I don't fall far from the tree, right? I want to tell you, Gail, how much I love you. I want to tell you that publicly and how much I appreciate the gift of God in your life. And, and I know there's, we talked on Sunday, there's some things and 
processing through and what's next for your life and how God's going to use you. And you've dove headfirst in the revive, and I'm excited about how you're going to be using that capacity. But I feel wholeheartedly that, that there are going to be some incredible days ahead for you in ministry. See, see what you guys may or may not know about Gail, and she is, she's intense, but I like her because intense people are cool. She's the one sometimes that will stand up when the Holy Spirit falls on her and make half of you in the road jump. If you've never experienced that, you'll get it. But I want to say this about Gail. She comes to every service if she's in town. And on Sunday morning, she comes to both. So she hears me preach two different messages because it's never the same. And whether it's me or my dad or anybody else, she writes down and keeps notes because she has never put herself above devouring the Word of God. Now, you're not old, but you're older than me. And you have spent many more years than I in the kingdom of God. And yet she comes every week with her heart open, knowing that she's in ministry and called to ministry to hear the word of God. And I really felt like I, when I was speaking up here, the Lord said he's going to honor. That you've been so open to receive. You've not judged the vessel. You've been open to receive the word of God. And I feel... Like what is getting ready to happen, whether it's through Revive or through another ministry in your life, is going to be much greater than anything that happened in the former. I just felt God, the, that, that latter rain anointing for your life. I believe it wholeheartedly. All right? I love you, and I believe in you 100%. I believe in the gift of God in your life. All right? All right, that's random, but just deal with it, okay? Love you. This is interesting because Abraham combined, or we see Abraham combining action with faith. The faith that he had was that God's asked me to do something that's very painful in my life. He's asked me to take my son and offer him as an offering. So that's, that's the problem he's facing. The faith that he has says, although he's asking me to do something that seems painful, because I know that he is faithful and that his promise is true, as we read in Hebrews, I, I am confident and have full assurance that although I'm marching with a knife in one hand and my son's hand in the other, up to what could potentially be the place where I take a knife to my son's neck, if you can imagine that vividly, I am totally faith, I am totally have faith, I have active faith. I have a faith that is engaged with the promise of God. I have a faith that is engaged with the full assurance that I have access to the promises of God over my life. And he walks up that mountain, and this scripture is so beautiful because you know the story. And this is, this is James, so this is written way after this happens. Well, this is, this is God's answer to why he came through for Abraham. Now, now, for you and I, this is important because... Sometimes I want to know, Lord, why did you come through for somebody else? You ever see somebody just see a promise of God fulfilled in their life, and you ask yourself, how come you did it for them? This is one of those moments that you and I can learn, why did God do it here? And this is the answer. It says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what? By what he did. What he did was the final ingredient to seeing the promise of God fulfilled in his life. Are you with me? His faith became a fulfilled promise because of what Abraham did. 
And Abraham did because he believed that what God said is true. He believed and confidently approached the throne room of God with a promise in hand. Hello? Anybody ever given you an IOU? And now it's time for them to pay up? You're like, hey, remember this? Right? Remember this? That's what Abraham did. Abraham said, all right, I'm going to take him for a ride. But remember when you promised me this? I confidently approached the throne of God because I have full assurance that he is faithful. Come on. This is the last one. Not that one. We did that on Sunday. Another really cool graphic you missed, okay? It's 825. We'll, we'll finish in five minutes. First Kings. Some of you know the story. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Do you think Elijah heard a mighty rainstorm coming? Do you think he actually did? Was he lying? It's a crazy question. He, do you think he heard a mighty rainstorm coming? Or did he believe a mighty rainstorm was coming? Did he have the faith that a mighty rainstorm was coming? I'm going to answer the question for you. No rainstorm was in the distance. He didn't hear anything. He heard God's voice promise him that the rain they so desperately needed would come. That's all he had. But guess what? He did not go into reactive faith mode here. He engaged his faith based on his belief that what God told him was true. And when he engaged his faith in that promise, this is what happened. Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of the Mount Carmel, bowed low to the ground, and prayed with his face between his knees. I would ask Elijah this at this time. Elijah, why are you praying with your head between your knees if you really heard a mighty rainstorm coming? Because he didn't hear anything. That's why. Newsflash, Elijah did not hear anything. He believed what God told him, and he declared it based on what he believed. But when he bowed his head in this moment, he was praying, Lord, now I've said it and I believe it, so you're going to have to do it. Amen? This is kind of like uh, active faith versus reactive faith from Sunday 2.0. Because active faith sometimes requires you to believe, even when the report comes back, that what you're believing for is not happening. Then he said to his servant, go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. I don't know about you, but this is where I go, okay. <laughs> Remember when I told you earlier that I heard a rainstorm coming? I was just saying, I felt like oh, I was going to send rain. <laughs> Can we just go about our business? No. Elijah believed it confidently, with full assurance. Come on, God's calling some people in this room to be confident, right? Confidently, full of assurance. And so he makes this poor servant go back, not once, not twice, seven times. Can you imagine being that guy coming back seven times saying, hey, I went out again, nothing's there, and you said you heard something. Are you losing your mind? Did you really hear something? Seven times. The seventh time, most, some of you in this room know the story, 
Seven times his servant looked at him and he said, Hey, yeah, I know I've been out there seven times, Elijah. And I remember when you were kind of like a little cuckoo earlier when you said you heard something coming and we didn't see anything. And I've gone out seven times. And we don't know how much time lapsed between this. But I need to let you know something. Now I'm actually starting to see a cloud about the size of a man's fist in the distance. And it kind of looks like a rain cloud. I'm going to leave you with this. And I don't have time to preach what was here on Sunday, but I want to leave you with this. An act of faith that's engaged with the understanding of who you are and the assurance or and the access and the confidence with the assurance that you can approach the throne room of God. A faith that is actively engaged all the time where you're constantly rehearsing the promises of God for your life and those that you love does not take no for an answer. You hear me? Even when seven times come around, when six times he comes back and says nothing's there, if your faith is active and engaged, you still believe for it. Are you with me? Some of you think poor, my sweet friend back here, Diane, is crazy because every time she gets on the mic, she says, I am healed, and you see her having difficult walking. She's not crazy. She just doesn't take no for an answer. Are you with me? And you might think she's crazy, but the day that her back snaps into place and she goes running around this building and you're, and you're the one with the aches and pains, you're not going to think she's so crazy. Because active at faith never takes no for an answer. It is always engaged and it is rooted and planted in Hebrews 10 faith, which is the full assurance and confidence that God's given me access to his promises and to his presence for my life. Amen? Stand up, let's pray.